Hey, Danny. Hey, what's up? Wanna go for lunch? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever you mind. Mm, I want fish soup. Uh, okay, sounds good. You waiting for what? Let's go. Wait, you mean now? Yeah. But, but it's 10.30 in the morning! Hello, 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 and you're tuning in to an episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. Singapore is known for many things, clean streets, lush greenery, and of course, a huge variety of food. Just in a CBD alone, you can sample dishes from all around the globe, be it Mexican, Vietnamese, Japanese, Korean, American, Indian, you name it, chances are it's probably there. But the really good stuff, the ones that the locals go to every single day, are in a league of their own. From chicken rice and beef noodles to yongdaofu and bachomi, these are the local delicacies passed down from generation to generation, each dish a richly woven tapestry of culinary culture, telling the stories of immigration, survival, and people. Such is the legacy of our hawker heroes, and we, as hungry lunch-going patrons, are incredibly blessed for it. But while our taste buds might be adequately satisfied, my economic curiosity certainly isn't. And at the root of this puzzle is the seemingly humble fish soup, a dish passed down from the Teochews and typically consisting of vegetables, bean curd, anchovies, shallots, and of course, sliced fish. Yet, almost everywhere in Singapore, these fish soup stalls always seem to command the longest lines. But why? Is it a matter of price? Taste? Nutrition? What is it that consistently draws our hungry locals to this seemingly simple dish when there are so many choices out there? In this episode, I'll be taking you on a mini-food journey to get to the bottom of this fish soup conundrum. But first, I think we should go get some lunch. Are you recording? Oh my gosh, is this for your podcast? Can tell me first before you record or not? Ah? This is Lee Ying, a colleague of mine at work, and the very person from the introduction who dragged me out to lunch at 10.30 in the morning. So, can you tell me again why we are going for lunch so early? To beat the queue lah. You think I got so much time to spend waiting meh? I got a lot of work to do leh. Okay, 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 okay. And uh, where are we going again? Amoy, I told you already. Oh my gosh, can you walk faster? For those who are unfamiliar, Amoy refers to Amoy Street Food Center a popular lunch spot featuring two whole stories of various hawker fare and nestled within Singapore's bustling central business district at 7 Maxwell Road. So, we finally reached Amoy, 
and surprisingly at around 10.50 a.m. there's really quite a number of people here. Yeah, cause you walk so damn slow, please. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, gee. Um, so which one are we going to again? Don't know yet. Let's see which queue is shorter. Queue? At this time? Are you... What the... I have lived in Singapore for almost my entire life and I can tell you that there are some things that still baffle me. There's our colloquial language, Singlish, which involves a variety of different languages but which is still understood by locals of all races and colors. Then there's our peculiar habit of rushing everywhere, be it by foot or by car, and fun fact, Singaporeans are actually the fastest walkers on the planet, as measured by a study by the British Council back in the early 1990s. And then there's the peculiar gyasu attitude, which when translated from its Hokkien origins comes to mean afraid to lose. Being gyasu is so ingrained in our culture that it can perhaps explain our other quirks, such as why so many parents send their kids for extra tuition, why we're always rushing everywhere, and on this blazing hot Tuesday morning at around 11am, why there's already a long queue for fish soup. Why is there a queue already this time? Doesn't the store open at 11? Oh, and in case you were wondering, Gyasu is indeed kind of like the Singaporean equivalent of FOMO, or the fear of missing out, except that in true Singaporean fashion, we've already developed that concept ages before FOMO was even a thing. Because we're that kiasu. Yeah. Hello, your first time here, is it? There's always a queue. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so that one at the back is for Hanki, right? Yeah, but don't bother lah. The queue is always super long. Think cause it's cheaper. One bowl is like five dollars. Kelty is like doubles, yeah. Okay, so turns out price does have something to do with it. So since we are waiting, right? Do you mind answering some questions? You know, like for the podcast. Hmm. Okay, uh, I guess. Uh, great. So, how often do you actually eat fish soup? About once a week. Okay. And uh, how long do you normally queue for? Well, the queue can actually take up to half an hour to 45 minutes each time. Right. Okay. And um, why do you think it's so popular? I mean, there's so many different options here, right? Why do you think so many people still go for it even though they know they have to queue for such a long time? In my opinion, I think, well, it's one of the rather healthy op- healthier options. Mm. And um, maybe some people just follow the queue. Ah, uh, yes, queuing. Another time-honored Singaporean tradition besides complaining, brisk walking, and being afraid to lose. Guess I'll be adding that to my list.
So, while we collect our food and head back to the office, I think it's time to reflect on what we've learned so far. First, we found out that price is a factor, as when we compare the queues for the cheaper Hanqi store versus the relatively more expensive one offered by Piaoqi. Then, we also learn of how our unique Singaporean quirks factor into the phenomenon. There's the afraid to lose or kyasu attitude, which results in lunchgoers queuing up before the stall is even open. There's the habit of queuing or joining queues, which certainly exacerbates it. And then there's our infamous trait of rushing everywhere, a trait which effectively turns our lunch break into a lunch race, and which is something I clearly need to work on. But as any true blue Singaporean will tell you, these factors are already obvious, and I agree. Yet, while they may help to explain why queues persist or why queues may start so early, it really doesn't say much about why it originated in the first place. In other words, you could use these factors to explain just about any queuing phenomenon in Singapore, but what I'm really looking for here is why fish soup in particular gets consistently long queues as opposed to chicken rice, wonton mee, nasi lemak, nasi biryani, and so on. So, I figured that since this is a question of comparative differences, that we should probably take a deeper look at the dish itself. More on this after a quick break. Welcome back. Briefly speaking, fish soup as a dish is widely believed to have originated from the Teochew immigrants of the Guangzhou and Guangdong provinces. As the climate in that region tended to be humid and damp, the preferred method of cooking was poaching, steaming, or braising. What sets Teochew dishes apart is the emphasis on drawing out the natural taste of the ingredients. This means lesser use of sauces and oils, and also the deft handling of high-quality ingredients, the culmination of which results in a typically lighter and more delicate taste. Other popular hawker fare sharing the same roots include bakute, braised duck and kuei chap, mincemeat noodles, and porridge with side dishes. But as I've mentioned before in introduction, our local hawker fair tells a story in itself. And a big part of that story is adaptation, as seen by the variations and changes to a dish over the years. You've probably experienced different versions of bakute and mincemeat noodles, and as it turns out, fish soup has had its fair share of changes as well. I think fish soup is a very staple hawker centre um, find. So you have like your clear fish soup, um, your milky fish soup, and you can have that either with fried fish or sliced fish or sometimes even fish heads. And I think like something else that you can find maybe not at the hawker centre but at certain specialty shops, like they do um, fish soup steamboat as well, which I also really enjoy. This is Nicole Marie Ng. Okay, I'm Nicole. I'm currently the editor of Time Out Singapore. So what I do is I cover mostly the food and um, drink beat on the magazine. 
So we do a monthly um, free magazine and we also have an online website as well as social media channels where you know we cover everything from food and drink to shopping and health, um, arts and culture and general things to do around the city. As someone who covers the local lifestyle scene in Singapore, I thought that Nicole would bring an interesting take on the story of fish soup. Oh, and it started raining heavily right as we began the interview, so you might notice a little bit of thunder and rumbling in the background. Apologies in advance. So then, uh, are you personally a fan of uh, fish soup? I wouldn't say that it's my absolute favorite. Like, I am definitely more of a meatball laksa kind of person, but I do enjoy fish soup every now and then. So I'm also really lucky because my office is close to Tanjung Paga. Mm. So, um, and quite close to Amoy Street Food Center. So whenever I'm having a craving, I'll go down now. Usually have hunky fish soup. Okay. And, uh, so how often would you say that you have the dish? Um, it's usually on rainy days like this where I really <laughs> want to have fish soup. Um, yeah, so probably about once or twice a month when I feel like having something a bit light and am ready to brave the queue for the fish soup, then that's when I will go and have it. But more than anything, what led me to reach out to Nicole for this episode was the fact that she had written an article titled A Day in the Life of a Hawker in which she tagged along with the owners of the Piao Ti fish soup stall as they went about their day. The opening line of that article was a short quote from 72-year-old Mr. Yar. Tell everyone, don't work in this industry. So, uh, can you tell us more about this article? Like, uh, you know, why did you decide to cover this topic? The reason why we wanted to do a topic like this is because um, we we're doing a nostalgia issue. So, we wanted to interview a couple of old school hawkers and find out more about their lives. So, um, I mean, this is something that I've always wanted to write about as well because I don't think people really appreciate how hard it is, you know, the work that goes behind preparing that dish that you can maybe, once you order it, you get it within five minutes, but there's actually like a lot of prep that goes behind it as well. And to give you a taste of the fish soup story from the hawker's perspective, here's Nicole describing her observations throughout that day. Yeah, so I just asked them um, what time I should come down the following day, you know, what time do they usually start um, their preparation and he told me, like, they'll be here around 7. So I that's when I um, first came down. But I realized that they were well into prep by then. So they were probably here probably maybe since 5 or 6 a.m. So I think there are three of them in the shop. So the older brother, who is the main um, guy that I interviewed, and then his wife who helps him out, and then his younger brother. So I think the three of them just run the stall. And it's quite interesting to me as well because... Um, they actually own two stalls, one that's across from where they sell their fish soup, where they kind of do most of the preparation. So when I was there early in the morning, that's where like he gets the shipment of his fish and that's where he like does all the slicing and scaling. And then um, Madame Yash is there as well, like um, mainly working on the vegetables and all the other ingredients that go into the soup. And once they opened, which is... Um, I think probably around 11 a.m. that they, or 10 a.m. that they open properly. There's already a small line that forms before they're ready to take orders. So, 
And once it starts, it just doesn't stop. Like it's non-stop probably around till about 2, 3 p.m. And they'll still have a small crowd crowding around seeing if they can get their hands on the fish soup. All right. So, um, you know, what would you say was your key takeaway from this uh, experience? Really just the pure amount of hard work that it takes because it's like they're really non-stop. Since the time I arrived at 7 a.m., I didn't see them take any breaks or, you know, it's like all has to be focused on the prep work to make sure that they're ready in time for service. And then during service, it's really just like a mad rush and I don't even see them taking the time to eat or to, you know, go to the toilet or anything like that. It's just, yeah, standing on their feet the entire time taking orders. As customers who don't witness all these behind-the-scene moments, it can be difficult to stomach the reality of the hawker trade. But this is why articles like Nicole's are important. Because they shed light on the hawker side of the story and reveal what it really takes to carry on this treasured culture. And it's only once like the crowd kind of disappears around two-ish that they sit down and really start like um, having a meal of them their own but even then um, Madam Ya so she she's the one who takes the orders and everything so um, she would start eating and if a customer comes she would have to stop um, her food and then she'll take the order make sure everything's done and she'll start eating again and there was like a time where her food was just untouched for a long period just because she got so busy again so she didn't get to finish her, her lunch yeah in the midst of recent debate surrounding the treatment of hawkers and what it means for the future of the trade, this perspective becomes acutely prevalent. Okay, so, I mean, I think that it's great that the uh, National Heritage Board, they're trying to push for hawker culture to be part of Singapore's intangible cultural heritage. But um, I also think that from what I've read on certain articles online about how hawkers have been treated, it just doesn't seem fair because of the way that rents have just been rising like crazy as well as, you know, like certain other small fees that they're being made to pay as well. Because, I mean, I don't think hawkers make a lot of money as it is. Maybe unless you're running a stall with, you know, an extremely long queue every day. And that's also people who have probably been in the business for longer and they've already managed to build up that reputation. But as people who are starting out, it's probably going to be difficult to get that kind of awareness for your dishes as well. So um, to then be you know, made to pay so many different fees and things, it's hard to yeah, it's hard to be a hawker in Singapore, which is why we don't really see a lot of younger people taking on the job as well. And for people like me and you to then be able to you know, um, go and have hawker food maybe 50 years down the road, it might be a bit of a challenge because like um, there's nobody from our generation or very few people from our generation who's cooking hawker food and are deciding to take on this particular job. This episode started with a question about the popularity of fish soup, but it's difficult to ignore the rich heritage that it has built and come from as well as the pressing matters that run beneath the surface. Today, a $5 bowl is brought to you by decades of experience and dexterity, by weary palms and legs weathered through age and hard labor. Tomorrow is not so certain.
Now that we have a better understanding of the dish, I think we can try and approach the puzzle behind its popularity. And throughout numerous conversations with friends and guests alike, there was one thing that immediately jumped at me.、Um, I think it's just something that people opt for during lunch because it's not as heavy and it's probably like not as calorie rich as well. So it's it seems like a healthier alternative. Did you catch that? Here's the same thing as told by my colleague Li Ying. In my opinion, I think well, it's one of the rather healthy op- healthier options. And just for emphasis, here's another version from a dear colleague of mine, Brian. Because it's healthy, lah, bro. Well, well, well. Sounds to me like we have got a possible break in the case. So, what can we make of this? Is fish soup really that healthy, or is it just an illusion doused over the legions of poor, unsuspecting customers? To help me look into this, I've reached out to food scientist Ramesh Krish Kumar. Someone you might recognize from episode 17 of this podcast, titled "Why Is Healthy Food So Expensive?" Given his expertise, I figure that he'd be able to provide a conclusive judgment on the matter. There are many ways that people prepare fish soup, even though it has a single origin,、uh, a Teochew origin. But taking into reference a very standard way or a very standard meal, right, which is usually served with、uh, rice or served with thick bihun, if you were to compare that with、uh, things like ban mian, char kway teow, or chicken rice, or even things like、uh, a very typical hawker food, it tends to be a healthy. As per se, in certain aspect, for an example, it can be lower in things like, for example, the calorie content, the fat content, the cholesterol content. But、um, things like sodium, it it is still a bit to the higher side, I would say, because、uh, of the broth and the soup that is being used. And of course, when it comes to fiber, the fiber content tends to be also to, towards the lower side. But in comparison with other hawker food, it is definitely towards the healthier side. Oh. Um. Yeah. Turns out that fish soup is actually healthier than most hawker food out there. Guess everyone was right all along. If if the fish soup is prepared in in certain ways, or the things that we add on are、um, a bit more limited.、Um, for example, you know they will give you an option whether you want to add milk or not, right? So you know, if we are、uh, trying to avoid not adding milk, asking for more vegetables, or trying not to finish the entire bowl of soup,、um, sometimes there's sliced fish, there's fried fish. Going for the sliced fish, all these things make a very big difference in the food choice. So it is healthy, but your choice of ingredients and add-ons matter as well, and this is rather illuminating. Because as Ramesh will continue to point out, the matter of health and the choices you make with food are rarely just solely scientific. I mean, 
While we like to think that we are fully rational beings capable of calculating the costs and benefits of every calorie and every bit of nutrition that we need, I think we need to be a little realistic. Therefore, to add that touch of subtlety and nuance to our findings, here are some other factors for your consideration. For instance, there's the aspect of cultural belief. The perception that fish is much more healthier. Fish is much more, uh, uh, is a white meat, is much more cleaner, it's much more fresh. Upbringing. So when we are younger, you know, if you look at um, children that grows up in Singapore, if you see them eating the hawker centre, they will most probably be eating fish soup or fish-related products um, when they're dining out. That's a very common thing. When I was growing up, that's a common thing that I grew up with. It's always fish soup that if I'm eating out, my dad or my mom will be buying that. And I see my nephew and nieces, it's the same trend that we see. Comfort. As from very young children, when you're sick, this is some, the moment you're sick, you have a sore throat or you have some form of illness, you drink soup. You know, we are trained from young to go for, as Asians, you know, soup when you're sick. Or even a changing socio-economic landscape. Which is something always regarded as something more expensive, right? And, um, but now, if you look at it, it's a very, very affordable thing. And if you look at, if you compare the prices, you can get a fish soup, um, a sliced fish soup bowl for a much more affordable price as compared to other hawker food as well. Of course, I would say that fish soup is not regarded as something to the very lower side of cost. It tends to be at least about 50 cents or $1 more, but it is something that people can still afford in, in, in current days. After talking with Ramesh and considering all the points that he's brought up, I get this impression that fish soup is really kind of like the ultimate hawker food, in the sense that it has somehow managed to fulfill something known as the impossible trinity or the trilemma. Like, you know those triangle diagrams where you have to choose two options and forego the last one? That is what we're talking about here. In the case of fish soup then, what we have is a dish that is familiar, healthy, and affordable. And when you have something that ticks all these boxes, it is only natural for people to want it, right? Combine that with a healthy dose of Singaporean kiasuness, and what you get is excessive demand, and predictably, cues and cues and cues. In fact, the more I think about it, the only other local cuisine that fulfills this hawker trilemma is the namesake of this podcast, Economical Rice. And if you've ever been to Shenton House in the CBD area during lunchtime, you'll know what I'm talking about. So, in terms of looking for reasons as to why fish soup is so popular, I think our investigation has been pretty fruitful. But before we close out the episode, I would just like to bring up one last consideration, which was uncovered out of all places from a call with my wife Effie, all the way from Madison, Wisconsin, in the United States. Hey, so what's your next episode going to be about? Oh, you mean for the podcast? Yeah. Fish soup. Oh, really? Tell me more about it. Yeah, so it's going to be a look into why fish soup is so popular in Singapore. Oh, 
Fascinating. I love fish soup. Wait, you do? Yeah, when I did my internship there, I had it almost every day. Uh, wait, wait, really? Yeah, I didn't tell you. N- no. You probably forgot, right? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but anyways, why did you eat so much fish soup? Oh, hmm. I guess it's like the perfect dish. It was light and tasty, and you don't feel too full once you get back to work. And it's light enough that I wouldn't feel guilty having snacks in the afternoon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I really like how easy and simple it is. Huh? So, what do you mean? Hmm. Like you only need to choose between different size, and you can see how it's being prepared and what you're getting in a soup. Like personally, I just don't like to make so many choices. Like when I go into Subway, I just feel so overwhelmed that I have to make so many choices on every single item, like the cheese, the bread, meat, and veggies. <laughs> okay, so it's like like ordering coffee at Starbucks then. Exactly. So you see, with fish soup, everything is there. It's easy, nice, simple, and delicious. It just makes you feel good. Made you feel good. I guess in our pursuit of some profound economic wisdom, that we might have overlooked something that was right there all along. Food is, after all, a primal experience, and while factors like health, psychology, or culture may influence our decisions, perhaps the reason why people keep queuing for fish soup day in and day out is as simple as it being the most pleasing. To the greatest number of customers, maybe the aroma reminds you of your mom's cooking. Maybe you're looking to go on a diet, or maybe you just need a simple dish to break away from a busy day. The great mystery of the fish soup puzzle thus reveals itself in its simplest and most elegant form. It's just better at making customers. Happy, a humble conclusion for a humble dish. Just in time for lunch. So it's about eleven thirty-five, and we are back at the office pantry for lunch. Yeah, like finally, I'm starving. All right, let's get to it then. So I've never recorded someone eating before, so I guess I'll just ask about your experiences. Huh? Oh, I mean, for the listeners, you know, since uh, they can't see anything through a podcast. Oh, okay, sure. Um, can you describe what you've gotten for lunch, like the ingredients and all? There's some sliced fishes, veggies, shallots, and the soup is pretty hot. Great. And uh, how much did this bowl of soup cost? Seven dollars. Nice. And uh, how would you say it's presented? Can we just eat already? Oh my gosh! <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Go for it. All right. So. Uh... 
we just finished our lunch and uh, what do you say Ling? What do you think about it? It's very delicious. Okay. And uh, so do you think it was worth the queue and the early lunch and all? Yes, definitely. And with that brings the end to today's episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed it and that you learned a little bit along the way. If you like this style of content, then do drop a message and let me know at the links in the description. Music for this episode was by Podington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and Guyvis. Special thanks to my colleagues Brian and Lee Ng for their contributions, to Nicole and Ramesh for their time and invaluable insight, and last but not least, to my dear wife and number one fan of the podcast, Effie. Oh, and one last thing. I didn't manage to get this in the episode, but Ramesh has recently been hard at work promoting his own brand of drinks called Asmara, and I really think it's worth checking out. It's a wonderful fusion of science and traditional herbs from various cultures, and is available in flavors such as Ashta Berries, which contains a blend of 8 power berries, or Asari, which has French rose bird's nest with winter cherry. Asmara has been featured in the New Paper and Straits Times and can be purchased through two participating Sedeli outlets at Marina Bay Financial Tower 3, Novena Square Level 1, or through their Facebook page, asmara.sg. If you're interested, links can be found in the show notes on the website. Alright, so if you like this episode, please do a big favor by sharing the podcast or by subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Every little bit helps the podcast grow and helps motivate me to keep producing these episodes. Once again, thank you so much for listening in. This has been your host, Danny, at the Economical Rice Podcast. We're over here. We hope to serve you the grains of capitalism. Thank you.